If you like this podcast and would like to support us, please rate, comment, and subscribe. And also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. And now it's time to get a unique slant on current events from your favorite half-Asian couple. Get ready to know what's happening in the world today with your host, Shane and Nico. Hey, what's happening, everyone? This is Shane, and with me today is Kyle Anzalone from Foreign Policy Focus. What's going on, man? Hey, Shane. Glad to be on the show. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, so, obviously, uh, these past—I don't know—I don't know how long. I don't know how long the whole process with the whole impeachment thing. It seems like it's going on for like fifty years now. Um, but uh, you know, obviously, that's kind of the main focus on from the corporate press, which is, um, you know, take it however you want. But uh, we're going to talk about some other things that uh, we deem more important, I would think. And that would be just foreign policy and U.S. foreign policy, really, in general. Um, so kind of just want to get right to it. You wrote an article uh, specifically about the uh, um, the 2020 NDAA, which uh, I believe was voted on and passed, uh, correct? Yeah, so you know, this is the yearly uh, Pentagon funding bill. I, I think it gets some of the money that goes towards like the uh, OCO, that's like kind of the war making fund, and then like all the funding for the Pentagon itself, and then some of the funding for the Department of Energy uh, that goes towards the nuclear weapons. And so there's all kinds of funding, but then there's funding for different things that come other places. So you know, we talk about, and, and this bill has a you know spending level of seven hundred and thirty eight billion dollars, mm -hmm. but that's not the entire U.S. defense budget. But this is a huge, the largest portion of it. Um, and, and so that has now passed the House and Senate. Uh, this was a bill that was uh, passed separately in the House and Senate, two different versions of uh, the, the 2020 NDAA. So it goes to conference committee. And then uh, at conference committee, a different bill comes out. And then that now bill, that bill has been approved by the House and, and the Senate. All right. So why, why do you think, you know, because... Like I was saying at the beginning, the whole impeachment thing is kind of just basically taking over everyone's attention. And then this basically kind of just slides under the radar like, hey, you can talk about impeachment, talk about, you know, Trump's so-called abuse of power or wherever, whatever it is. And because uh, we've been like Nico and I, we've been kind of not really talking about it because we just felt, you know, there's other things to talk about because everyone else is talking about impeachment. So we want to talk about other things. But and he also, he also, um, I remember before Trump was talking about how he wasn't going to sign any more omnibus bills. And I don't know if this has anything to do with it too, right? Does the ND, the NDAA and the omnibus, they're not, this, they're not the same, right? So I don't, I have all No, these yeah, they're, they're two separate bills. Um, mm -hmm. if you, uh, check out Mike Meharry's article at the 10th Amendment Center today, he writes a little bit on the NDAA. And then the, uh, I think the, the, omnibus bill this year is going to be like 1.4 trillion dollars and uh, you know he has a, a little bit of the same kind of analysis too uh, uh, you know just about how all this spending's going on in the background while everybody's just talking about impeachment um in a lot of ways I, I really do agree you know with you and mike that this is all just a political show i don't think anybody has any you know actual thought that the senate is going to remove trump from office on the other hand 
this is all part of Russiagate, which was pretty close to, if not actually, a deep state coup attempt against, uh, you know, Donald Trump. We're now like finding out with the Horowitz report that they used the Steele dossier uh, as, you know, the the what the the thing to get the uh, FISA warrant against Carter Page, and that allowed them to spy uh, and go back and kind of look at emails from the Trump campaign. And so that came during the Obama presidency. That's really troubling and disturbing stuff and, and very important that that all gets exposed and comes out. So I really do think the whole impeachment thing is about to blow up in the Democrats' face because uh, they've really just dug themselves such a huge hole with all this Russiagate business, and now they've impeached the president on it. So they can't let it go. Uh, you know, they, 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 they're they on it now. And uh, rather than at some point just kind of being like, well, we really screwed up there, but we're moving on. Um, at, at the very least, Tulsa Gabbard voted present. So there's one uh, candidate on their their bench now. I, I guess the Sanders haven't voted yet uh, that, you know, is at least present on impeachment and rather than voting for it. But, uh, you know, just to say that there is a real scandal here uh, with around the whole impeachment thing, although I agree with you on impeachment itself is a, is a show. Yeah, and like you were talking about with uh, Tulsa Gabbard voting president, I mean, the amount of like shit that she's been getting just because she voted, she didn't say yes or no. I mean, if she had voted yes, you know, then obviously all the Republicans, and I guess even some of the libertarians will be like, well, I thought, you know, I thought this whole time you were talking about how it's this, you know, this is going to divide the country even more, and yet you voted for yes. And then if she votes no, I mean, I guess she'll be getting the same shit that she'll be getting when she voted president. It's like, well, why are you going against the Democrats? Like, what, what is your problem? See, I told I told everyone that she was a fucking Russian asset. I told y'all, you know? So, I don't know. It was like a lose-lose for her, I suppose, when she, however she would have voted. Yeah, well, I guess not to go out there and complain about probably the best senator and the best representative. I mean, Rokahana, Barbara Lee, there's and Thomas yeah. Massey or others, but on the on the war issue. But I think Tulsi Gabbard has a little bit of this kind of Rand Paul syndrome thing, where rather than just going like all the way on something and voting no yeah. and coming out with a strong statement saying that, look, I would be all for impeaching Donald Trump, but we are going after him from the for the wrong thing mm -hmm. and just list off like the four or five things. And even if some of them aren't things that uh, are, you know, as big issues are, you know, maybe even more popular on the left saying something like uh, the, the way he's treated immigrants and something like that, I think would be probably some a better reason to impeach him. Uh, Yemen. Somalia, Afghanistan, Libya, you know, go on the list. There, there's plenty of things to impeach him for. And she got up and made a statement like that, similar to the statement that Ron Paul made, uh, you know, when, when the oh, impeachment yeah. of Bill Clinton was going on. That's what I, I thought would have been more important than her voting president mm -hmm. and then going with this whole uh, house divided can't stand or, or whatever, you know, line. Come on. <laughs> like, don't don't give us lines, Tulsi. Made some actual statements here. Say something concrete. And she kind of goes, eh, well, you know, the president did something wrong. You know, maybe he did do a little bit of something wrong if he did leverage a meeting with him to try to get the investigation into Joe Biden. But he never got the investigation anyway. And Hunter Biden and Joe Biden are corrupt as hell. So, um, you, know, you know, there's a lot to all of it, but I, I guess I, I was a little bit disappointed. But yeah, I mean, it, it does show that Tulsi Gabbard is somebody willing to step outside the establishment that, you know, she was, I think, what, one, three Democrats not to vote yes. One of mm -hmm. three total uh, representatives not to vote the way uh, their party did. And then Justin Amash, of course, voted with the Democrats. So. Right, right. 
Yeah. And so, yeah. And Justin Amash, that's like a whole other can of worms. I mean, obviously him doing that is definitely a split libertarians. Cause I've seen, and I'm sure you see it too. You know, you see some libertarians who are, you know, kind of agreeing with him. Yeah, this is good. Other ones are like, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? But I mean, he has his reasons and she has hers. So I, I really don't know what the whole game plan is for all of this, but you know, something right. well, that, and I guess that's a good point though, that Donald Trump is a war criminal and he yeah. should be impeached. And so I understand why, you know, in, in some ways it would be hard to vote against him. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe, and if I'm wrong about this, then, you know, just correct me. I'm not like, but I think Ron Paul in his like speech about Bill Clinton said he was going to vote for the articles of impeachment. He just had other reasons for it. Yeah. Now I think this one's a little bit more loaded because it, it comes with, you know, the fact that it's Russia gate and a, you know, somewhat of a deep state coup attempt against the president. So voting against that seems a little bit more important than, uh, you know, whatever Bill Clinton did wrong or not um, <laughs> with the Monica Lewinsky thing. Right. So I, I don't know. Eh kind of jumbled thoughts there but there's a bunch of them yeah well so i was gonna say you know tulsa gabbard voting present on the impeachment well she was more than ready to vote yes for the uh, usmca so i mean she was able to make that uh make that choice um you know so going along with that i don't know how if you want to however you want to take that but you know because i mean i don't know if you know about the whole usmca vote but you know, the whole trade deal that uh, Trump's saying, ah, see, uh, the, trade deal, the trade deal that I'm doing is good for all us Americans and Mexicans and Canadians or whatever. But uh, yeah, I definitely haven't kept up with the trade deal enough. I, yeah. I you know, I kind of know it's happening, but I, I didn't look at the certain votes or anything. But I do believe Tulsi voted against the NDAA. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if we want to round back to that, that was a, a great thing to see um, because the bill that, that ends up being passed here is pretty nasty. Um, you know, other than the the massive amount of our tad sellers that are going to continue to go to waste on projects like the F-35 um, that that's still struggling to, you know, have all the systems communicate correctly. And after all these years, they have to like now cannibalize the planes to keep the other ones going because there's not enough spare parts. Mm -hmm. And so in, in several air bases, it's like, you know, in the teens or low 20s of the F-35s that can actually fly and are ready to go. And so that project's a failure. You have uh, like the Ford aircraft carriers. This is a you know multi-billion dollar project, tens of billions of dollars spent on it. And these things, the elevators don't work. So you can't get the aircraft from below deck to above deck, which basically takes away the point of having an aircraft carrier. Yeah. And uh, it, you know that's a, a real problem. So you have things that make these massive weapons uh, projects completely ineffective and not that I believe that we need them for our defense, but if I did, I think I should, you know, would be really pissed off that they, you know, are so terrible and we're wasting so much of our money on them. So, uh, you know, that those are, that's a real problem. Uh, but then there's other things in this bill, like allowing Trump to deploy low yield nuclear weapons, um, not having anything in the bill that limits the war in Yemen, which is something that the first house bill that was passed actually did, uh, you know, ending weapon sales to Saudi Arabia, uh, repealing the 2001 and 2002 authorizations for use of military force. Yes, these are the uh, uh, resolutions that Congress approved in 2001 and 2002 after 9-11 to fight the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And they're still being used to fight wars today, um, at least I think six wars right now for the 2001 AUMF and one uh, for the 2002, the continued U.S. Uh, war in Iraq. So 
<laughs> there's there's a lot going on and with the war and this this bill does more than just fund it. It's 3,500 pages long, which isn't that disturbing that the House passed this bill 19 hours after it came out of conference committee, and it's 3,500 pages long. If you go to Thomas Massey's Twitter, there's a, you know, a picture with him and a pile of paper up to here. Mm-hmm. I sure hope he didn't waste all that paper on this thing and jump printing the whole uh, stupid thing out, but it... it there's a lot in there. It's kind of hard to read. So when you know, I wrote my article on it. I had to do some control F searches and stuff like that to try to highlight uh, some why I thought were the worst and most important things in the bill. Well, another thing that uh, was in there uh, was the uh, decision to make the Space Force the sixth branch of the U.S. Armed Forces, and it's just like I don't. I mean, I'm wearing like you know for for you like I'm wearing the, a T-shirt with Trump saying Space Force on it, you know, so. I'm, it's funny because you're just thinking, you know, you're, you have, it's, 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 it's like a joke now in a way, you know, it's like space force. Okay. So, so I guess not, so it's not NASA, right? So is it like with NASA, but they have missiles that can shoot up, you know, but not for, you know, uh, science, but for, oh shit, there might be some, uh, aliens coming over to our planet, shoot them. You know, I don't like what, what's the, what would, what would be the point of a space force when, you know, like, wouldn't the U.S. Air Force just maybe just branch that into? I don't know because I know the Air Force was originally part of the Army. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. So, all right, a couple things there. The, the last point you made is uh, initially there was a lot of debate around if the Space Force would be part of the Air Force, and I think it was formally called a Space Command in the Air Force, mm-hmm. and then uh, they actually decided in this bill to make it a sixth branch of government. So in a, in a sense, it did already exist. Mm-hmm. And while this is, in a way, comical, because what are you going to do, build a Death Star kind of scenario, yeah, yeah. Uh, the problem is, is that's what they're going to do. And so, you know, those countries over your left shoulder there, Russia and China, aren't just going to sit idly by why the U.S., you know, if they start to put nuclear weapons in space or, you know, weaponize space in any way, you know, these countries aren't going to be okay with the the U.S. just doing that. Um, I've read some arguments recently by people saying that uh, what's going to happen is they're going to start developing weapons to shoot each other's satellites out of the sky. And, of course, what's going to end up happening is it's going to take out all the, you know, civilian uh, you, you know, uh, satellites that help us all, you know, I, so, uh, I, I work, uh, at my day job with children and the fact that none of these kids like have any idea how to use the map or how you got places. I, I was explaining map quest to them one day. Right. Hmm. So imagine having to like go back in time to the point where you have to use a hand map. You can't even use map quests because <laughs> you know, all the internet capabilities are cut out. Well, you know, that's something that could happen if you end up with a space war. So, you know, very seriously, this is a, a threat to kind of our standard of living and way of life uh, by weaponizing space and turning it into a, you know, a potential future battlefield, especially if you have a, a situation where there's not a whole lot of people up there and uh, you know, I think just kind of the mentality of how U.S. politics works and everything, uh, you know, taking out targets that wouldn't necessarily have direct, you know, human consequences like a satellite or something, you know, maybe something uh, that would happen. So weaponizing space, I think, is very dangerous. Vladimir Putin has been warning against it for years, saying that, you know, Russia is going to have to follow in the U.S. steps. We don't want to waste all of our money on this. Uh, we we want to come to some kind of deal and has propo- proposed several different uh, kind of agreements that would, uh, you know, not weaponize space where countries just wouldn't do that, uh, kind of like any other arms control agreement. Uh, it would be 
be a great thing because if, if agreement doesn't come about, uh, you know, I think the fear is eventually one day we continue to elect presidents that um, are crazy. Uh, you know, Donald Trump, the things he's done in foreign policy without actually understanding are, you know, his decisions are nonsensical. And so if, if he continues to make poor decisions and has very hawkish advisors, he's going to end up putting a nuclear weapon in space. Uh, and, you know, maybe it doesn't happen with Trump because these things typically take time. But two or three presidents down the road, who knows who we have? You know, Tom Cotton's president. What's he going to do? Yeah, he'd probably even worse in terms of being a hawk. Like like a lot worse, I would think, you know. And I, I mean, I do know that's like worst case scenario kind of stuff. But it, it's it's a real threat and a real reason that you wouldn't want to weaponize space, weaponize space and why arms control is better. Uh, you also have the fact that this is going to be another huge chunk of spending. How much do you think is they want to put weapons, uh, missile defense systems in space? The THAAD missile systems have been uh, a multi, like 10 multi-billion dollar project, uh, tens of billions of dollars spent on it, right? Uh, they're going to try to build one of those in space. How much is that going to cost? Right Right now, we don't even have like a space shuttle fleet or anything. And I think the U.S. is still relying on Russian spaceships to get up into space. Uh, so if you, I think if you continue to move in this direction as well, just like we've seen with companies like Boeing, uh, the civilian products will get worse. And they'll focus everything on the, the military projects because the, the Pentagon is just a huge honeypot. You could produce an, an absolute crap plane like the F-35 and make billions of dollars. So why wouldn't you? Jeez. Yeah. So, I mean, so like with the, with the um, space force thing, right. And you're talking about how Russia and China just aren't going to sit there and, Oh, I guess United States is going to make their own space force and shoot our satellites. All right, cool. Sounds good to us. You know, like, I don't, like, I think, I think you're kind of, I, I think you're, you're hitting at the right direction where I don't think they're just going to sit there, you know? And I mean, with the whole, you know, Trump being Russia's puppet or whatever, I would think if anything, he would let Russia do all that first, you know, instead of America doing doing it. And then, you know, like, let, let's let America lead the charge, but I'm Russia's puppet or whatever or something, whatever. You know, I mean, it's, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Well, it absolutely doesn't make any sense. Trump has been as if not more hawkish on Russia than Obama was. And while he has been, I guess, personally a little bit friendlier to the, the leader of Russia, Vladimir Putin, that, that really doesn't change the fact that he's withdrawn from the uh, INF treaty, which prevented an entire class of nuclear missiles. So they used to have a situation where there were intermediate range nuclear missiles. Uh, that's a missile with a range between 500 and 5,500 kilometers, which meant that Europe was, uh, you know, they had these weapons all over Europe with nuclear missiles on top of them. Uh, they're very dangerous because, um, the, the amount of time you have to make a decision, the longer the range of the missile, the longer it takes to get to the target. So I guess you have a longer time to try and make a decision if this is a real attack or not. Mm -hmm. But you have missiles coming on the radar from Europe or something like that on these short-range missiles. And, you know, it's a very short time. And, and so there's a real threat of these weapons. And the INF Treaty did a lot to uh, eliminate this entire class of, of weapons and uh, you know made, made progress. And so it's a shame that that's ended under Trump. He's expelled more Russian diplomats than Obama ever did, uh, sanctioned Russia over several uh, false scandals, including Russiagate uh, and the poisoning of the scripples in uh, the UK. You know, it, it's been, uh, you know, even now, the, the 20, uh, 
20 NDAA is going to sanction the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. This is uh, going to bring liquefied natural gas from Russia into Germany uh, by pipeline, which will you know drop the cost compared to American. Uh, the U.S. says, oh, no, this will make uh, Europe more reliant on Russia. And I guess then Vladimir Putin could control Europe that way. And so that's the position of the Trump administration. That sure doesn't seem like something that Vladimir I mean, Putin's puppet could do. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, yeah. That's why this whole uh, Russiagate uh, thing and impeachment is so ridiculous, is that Trump has been more hawkish on Russia. He hasn't gotten deals done. He hasn't done anything to improve the re- the relationship. I mean, look, look at the mess in Syria. He still hasn't found a, a way to resolve that with Putin even. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good point. Um, I didn't know about the, uh, or maybe I just didn't, um, I just probably forgot about it, but the whole um ambassador thing you know like all the i don't know it's just weird though you know because he didn't he also uh help i don't know if it was trump but i know it started during obama and i'm sure it's uh, continuing under trump but the whole neo-nazi ukraine right yeah well this is this goes to the whole joe biden scandal right oh Um, yeah, yeah. yeah so in the second term of Obama, uh, Joe Biden, along with Victoria Newland, who was, I believe, the U.S. ambassador to the EU, uh, orchestrated a coup in Ukraine against the president there because that president was pro-Russian uh, and to install a more uh, Western government. It, the coup worked. Uh, the the one the many problems with that coup, other than it's, you know just U.S. interference in another country, is we backed extremists there, and those extremists were uh, people with Nazi ideology. Uh, you know, and this isn't the, a situation kind of like you have in the U.S. like Red Nets. This is because uh, of the you know situation that happened in World War II, where you know look from like Ukraine to Russia in that small area of the world, how many tens of millions of people died as the Nazi war machine moved in uh, to to Russia, and then of course the the reaction and uh, you know oppression of the Soviet Empire after. You know, yeah. you have very, very deep, you know, blood problems uh, and legacies there of real communists and, and real fascists having op- opposition in Ukraine. And so, you know, there's this guy, uh, you know, that was a collaborator with the Nazis, Stefan Bandera, uh, and he is kind of his ideology that uh, exists among these radical right groups. Uh, Andre Perubi was the head of some of these groups. Uh, you Names like the Azov Battalion, A-Z-O-V. You could Google that and look that up, and you'll see pictures uh, of these guys, uh, Ukrainians with Nazi ideology. This is the guy who became Speaker of the Parliament after the U.S. coup attempt. So, you know, that's the connection there. It's very real and very problematic. Well, then after that, of course, the sense the U.S. organized the coup (laughs) and and helped pull it off, uh, the U.S. has a lot of power and sway of what's happening in the Ukrainian government. In fact, at one point, you had Joe Biden bragging about how he leveraged USA to Ukraine uh, to get a uh, prosecutor fired. And whether or not that had anything to do with his son, uh, just that goes to show how much leverage the United States and Joe Biden had personally in Ukraine. And so then a Ukrainian gas company hired his son, who had a history of drug abuse. I, I believe he failed out of whatever branch of the armed forces he was in, and then um, goes on to you know work in Ukraine, 
doesn't speak Ukrainian, doesn't have a history in gas and working for this uh, company in uh, Burisma uh, in Ukraine, Ukrainian gas company sits on the board. I believe he was making $80,000 a month, made a couple million dollars total. Um, and, and everybody, it, it, it seems extremely obvious that there's no way this guy wouldn't have gotten the job if his daddy wasn't Joe Biden. Yeah, but you're not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> right. That's a conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah. But the whole Trump thing, it's 100% proof. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It, like, so I guess kind of going back to the Trump impeachment, I guess we're still talking about the whole Biden thing. But like I said, you can't talk about that. Shh. But um, like, is it true that, and, you know, like I said, I'm not, I don't really know a whole lot about it or at least I'm not, I haven't really dived more into it than you have. And I don't know how much of it you know as well, but Trump keeps talking about how the president of Ukraine keeps saying that, well, there was no quid pro quo. There was no this or that. Like in, in your recollection, is that true in, to what you've seen? Yeah. So the, the, the evidence here, there's the transcript, the transcript of the call between Trump and Zelensky. And if you read that transcript, there's definitely not a quid pro quo. Uh, at the, the Democrats uh, um, during the impeachment hearings interviewed a bunch of former people from the Trump administration. The people who were actually like making points about facts and not because a lot of the witnesses were just there to say Donald Trump's policy towards Ukraine was beneficial towards Russia. Well, mm -hmm. that really doesn't like say, um, you, you know, what actually happened if there was a quid pro quo or not. So the main testimony is from this guy, I forget his first name, but he was the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. His last name is Sondland. And this is the guy, if you remember, he's bald, and he's the only person during the impeachment hearings who looked like he in, in, enjoyed it. Um, in his impeachment hearings, he says that there was an implied quid pro quo mm. uh, that everybody in the administration knew about, uh, that in order for Zelensky to get a meeting with Donald Trump, he would have to open an investigation into Burisma, uh, the, the company that employed Hunter Biden. Mm. Now, that's implied. That's not, he doesn't present any evidence. He doesn't say, I heard the president say. Now, there's uh, other people who say, oh, I overheard someone who was talking to the president, and the president talked so loud on the phone that at this restaurant, I was able to overhear him demand uh, this. So, you know, I, I think all that testimony is junk. The, the Soundland testimony is the best they have. And, uh, you know, he says it's implied, but then goes on to say, uh, that when he asked the president directly later on, the the president said no quid pro quo, tells Zelensky to do what he was elected to do. And Zelensky is this populist president who has no history in politics. Mm -hmm. He actually played uh, the, the Mr. Smith goes to Washington, I guess is the best analogy, right? Kind of guy mm -hmm. where you're you're just this kind of gung-ho, honest guy, and you, you sense corruption, so you go to Washington and change things. Well, he plays that character on TV, and then he gets that job in real life so that that's what's happening in ukraine right that's like kind of but again you know this is in reaction to the fact that the u.s orchestrated a coup uh that broke out in a civil war and uh you know had neo-nazi factions uh empowered by it so uh, you know, Zelensky's elected on an anti-corruption platform. So uh, Trump tells Sondland to tell Zelensky, do what you were elected to do. That's definitely not a quid pro quo. Yeah. The Democrats claim that Trump was leveraging military aid um, in order to get 
the investigation to Joe Biden. This flat out isn't true. This is made up. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seems extremely clear that uh, even Sondland can't make this point. He says that I thought that was the case, but doesn't even say it was an implied or a consensus among the administration. Uh, Donald Trump has long complained that Europe isn't picking up enough of the tab uh, for the common defense of Europe. And as we know from the testimony of all the Democrats, that apparently the Ukraine is the battlefront uh, between the United States and Russia. And so if that's the case, it's perfectly consistent with Donald Trump's policy, um, you know, towards Europe with NATO and everything else to try to get the Europeans to pick up more of the tab. And so he spent like two or three months uh, withholding this aid from Ukraine. Uh, Testimony during the impeachment made it very clear that nothing actually strategically changed because uh, this aid was held up for a few months. Uh, You know, these these projects take a long time to unfold, so holding up the aid for a couple months isn't going to do anything. Uh, yeah, so so all they have is Soundland saying that there was an implied, uh, you know, quid pro quo for that uh, for the investigation of Biden in exchange for a meeting with Donald Trump, which it, I don't even know if that's abuse of power or impeachable. I mean, I think there's a good debate and conversation to have around that, mm-hmm. but. Let us be real, people. Donald Trump is committing worse crimes than that every single day, and every president probably ever has committed certainly worse crimes than that. I mean, this is this is a pretty minor crime uh, compared to you know the the wars of George Bush and Barack Obama. Yeah, there was that uh, recent episode of uh, part of the problem where Dave Smith was breaking down when Nancy Pelosi was asked about you know why didn't you push for impeachment during the whole, you know, weapons of mass destruction and being and basically lying and starting the, you know, war on terror under Bush. And, you know, she, I can't exactly remember the, her answer, but she was kind of, you know, beating around the bush and saying, yeah, it was bad, but you know, such and such and blah, 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 blah. But then this is the thing that's going to make, you know, have, uh, you know, people try and impeach a president when, when, when this other thing happened under Bush, but eh. That's not impeachable, I guess. It was bad, but not impeachable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really amazing uh, that that she has that admission. She says she knew Bush lied about the war, so I, I don't know why you didn't stop it at the time. Uh, I feel like if you say, like, you know, I have the intelligence, I know that absolutely by intelligence that this is a lie. That that may have been enough to stop the war. I don't know, but it definitely seems like it would have made a huge difference and something that she should be obligated to do and didn't. Um, I, I mean, I know she did oppose the war, so you, you can't lay the whole thing on her like you can the Bush administration, but still, it seems like she definitely could have done a hell of a lot more, and she could have impeached him for it after, and that would have set a, a real important you know, trend of precedent that says, if you, you know, why the Americans in the war, if you go that far, we will impeach you for that. We will serve congr- uh, you know, a crush- congressional authority at that point. Yeah, so um, going back to uh, your article, you were talking about as well um, this thing called the Caesars Bill. Um, Can you kind of explain what that is? Yeah, so this is actually the thing I just got attacked for on Twitter uh, by some guy who is – on the board of some Syrian regime change institute. Mm. Uh, What this is, is it's a bill that's going to sanction Syria, Russia, and Iran – for war crimes committed in Syria. As I mentioned in the article, uh, 
of course, the Assad government has committed war crimes in Syria. However, the, the main allegations against him, those of the chemical weapons use are completely bunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one, the Duma uh, report that, it, you know, the, the claim was that Assad did carry out these chemical weapons attacks and all these leads came came out that absolutely disproved it. Uh, by the way, my r- good friend and uh, great writer, Will Porter, was like on this from day one. And you yeah. could definitely go back to 2018 and find his writing and hear him on my show just explaining all the things that later came out uh, from the leads, you know, disproving that Assad carried out this chemical weapons attack. Um, but yeah, so all the chemical weapons uh, claims, at least all the big ones, have uh, been debunked and disproven. So there's that issue the u.s has also committed war crimes in syria the u.s you know fueled the syrian opposition which turned out to be you know mostly al-qaeda and isis and so the fact that assad had to commit so many war crimes in syria was because those people were threatening a genocide against the alawites and the christians of syria and the you know forcing all the jewish people out of the country there were there was a lot of problems with the syrian opposition those people were radical nut jobs and the u.s bat them so we're at least in some part responsible for all those war crimes in the you know 300 to 500 thousand people who have been killed in the Syrian civil war. That's not all on Bashar al-Assad, Putin, and the Ayatollah. Uh, you know, the, the U.S. bears a lot of that responsibility. And so it's extremely hypocritical uh, to sanction the Syrian and Russian governments for that. Uh, but the bigger problem is, is that this is going to prevent and slow the rebuilding of Syria. At this point, Assad has won the war. Uh, you know, we could continue to sit on some oil fields for some time. I'm not sure if eventually Assad will find some way to push the U.S. out or not, um, you know, through some kind of negotiations once he secures the rest of the Idlib province. But everybody who, who's, you know, observer of the Syrian civil war knows that with the backing of Russia and Iran, Assad will absolutely prevail and one day control the rest of Syria again. Um, And that means that the U.S., if we sanction Assad, it's going to prevent humanitarian aid and all kinds of assistance and funding and just capital to flow into Syria to rebuild that country that's been decimated uh, by what this war that's gone on for eight years now. Yeah, it seems like it's gone on forever. Um, That's probably why they call them the forever wars. Um. So, yeah, and another thing, too, that you're mentioning that, uh, you know, as I guess a big um, kind of victory, I suppose, well, obviously the whole thing's a victory for, for all of them, but um, I, I think it was from the Democrats, I'm, I'm pretty sure, maybe from, I don't know who it was exactly, but, you know, obviously um, it's going to give a, a raise to the, you know, military and, and paid family leave as well. And because uh, I'm, I'm reading it from here, it says that the bill starts a new civilian ROTC program that will offer college and deg- uh, college degrees and financial assistance. So it's kind of given a, you know, a little bit of, of money. So, you know, like, would you can cons- like, would you consider that a positive in- for that? Because I mean, I'm sure for nah. most, so great. yeah, the the civilian ROTC thing, I couldn't find a lot of details on in the actual bill, uh, and then all the reporting on it was like really thin. Just that this thing exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I could tell, there's going to be a couple hundred people in it in by like 2022. Mm-hmm. So. It's, it doesn't seem like it's going to be huge at first, although it's probably the kind of thing that's going to grow and balloon. I, I think the real threat here is that, 
you know, if the army and the Pentagon are offering engineers and uh, accountants and everything, uh, degrees in college are going to expect them to work at the Pentagon after. And so maybe then the next nuclear engineer working on weapons instead of energy. You know, I think that's the real trade off here. And then just making people more loyalist to the Pentagon. Oh, the civilian ROTC program is so great. Doesn't the army give us all so many opportunities that old uh, disgusting point? Hmm. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. There's not a lot on that. You would think if it was so good, they would talk about how good it is. But I guess they want to keep it as vague as possible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's something that somebody probably just wanted to throw a little bit of money at and, you know, they're going to just let the Pentagon bureaucracy do what they want with it and that they're not going to have a whole lot of guidance or oversight o- over it. Yeah. And then so also uh, you're, you do talk about one positive um, and I'll, I'll just read the, the sentence that you wrote. It says one positive in the bill is a law that will require countries to agree to extensive inspections before receiving nuclear technology from the U.S. Um, can you kind of elaborate and explain uh, more on that? Yeah, so uh, the the target of this bill, and while it's a law that's going to apply to everything, the target of it is the Trump attempt to transfer civilian nuclear uh, technology to Saudi Arabia when Saudi Arabia is refusing uh, inspections. I'm not a nuclear scientist, so I'm not going to explain this perfectly, uh, but in a very general thing, the U.S. made this one, two, three agreement is what's called with the UAE. We provide them nuclear technology, and I think a lot of the you know materials to construct their nuclear facilities, all the information and everything. And rather than the UAE enriching their own uranium, they're going to allow the U.S. to enrich their uranium and make it into fuel rods and then send that back to the UAE uh, because enriching nuclear fuel is what you need to uh, do to eventually get it up to weapons grade. And so if you have the the capability to not only run a nuclear plant, uh, but then also to enrich uh, uranium, you know, like a country like the United States, Israel, Russia, China, Pakistan, uh, Iran can all do uh, that, and North Korea as well. That that's going to allow you to one day build a nuclear bomb. Now you can also enrich uranium uh, for civilian purposes. Uh, like three percent is what you need to enrich it to uh, to use it as nuclear fuel. Somewhere around twenty percent for a lot of like medical isotopes and something like that. And who knows? Uh, there could be a lot of things in between that I don't know about, but you know, there, there are civilian uh, reasons to enrich, but this is the agreement that we signed with the UAE and people in the foreign policy establishment is certified as the gold standard. I don't know how good it is uh, to be quite honest, but it, it is some kind of restriction and cap on, you know, these countries then having the ability to make their own nuclear weapons. Uh, so, if the U.S. is going to give civilian nuclear energy to Saudi Arabia, it seems to me to be in the natural uh, national interest of Americans to not also give them the ability to enrich their, their own uh, nuclear fuel. Because, uh, you know, the Saudis say if the Iranians build a bomb, they're going to build a bomb. But they've been hysterically saying for years that the Iranians are building a bomb when they haven't been. So it seems like they could end up building a bomb and then provoke Iran to build a bomb or something like that. Um, yeah, so 
I think a one, two, three agreement would be better than anything. Uh, the Saudis have just outright refused to do that. And the Trump administration has given them uh, transfers of nuclear technology anyways. And so this is the Congress uh, trying to assert some authority over that. All right. So to kind of go off the NDA. And so I just um, have a couple of things that I wanted to ask you about to kind of elaborate on. Um, and it still pertains to foreign policy. Um, I see, and, and it's, it's about Iran, cause, and I'm sure you've seen it all the time, this argument about, like you're saying, you know, Iran building a bomb. Of course, they've been saying that since, I don't know, since, you know, the Civil War. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, so and they also say, and Trump also says this a lot about, you know, the Iran nuclear deal and how, well, you know, Obama gave all this money to Iran, you know, like what, what's up with that? And I see a lot of people, mainly the neocons, and I guess even conservatives, really, they're kind of saying, well, this is one of the, re this is why we should have never had the Iran nuclear deal in the first place, because it was bad. And he gave him all this money. But I also hear that, uh, that says that the money was actually theirs to begin with. Like, how does that even work to have, if, it, if it's their money to begin with, like, how did that even, like, how does, and I'm sure there's like a huge history thing that I'm sure you, you It'll take forever to explain, maybe, but no, I think I could do this one pretty quick. Okay. So before 1979, uh, Iran what had a the Shah was the government uh, of Iran. That was the head of Iran, and that was the government that the U.S. put in place after the coup in '53. So from '53 to '79, U.S. sat puppet in charge. Well, eventually, you know, this pisses off the people so much. Uh, uprising happens, and the Ayatollahs, the uh, religious figures, take over. Once that happens. Um, the U.S. changes their policy on Iran, well, at least their official policy, because just a few years later during the uh, Reagan administration, Iran-Iraq war, the U.S. was secretly, uh, you know, funneling weapons to the Iranians. But, you know, not to try to make too much logic out of U.S. foreign policy, but officially establishment, what the mainstream media will tell you is that since 79, uh, the U.S. has been an enemy of, of the Iranians. So, But before 79, we weren't. Uh, at some point, the Iranians gave the U.S. a whole bunch of money early uh, because we are going to sell them some fighter jets. In fact, I believe the, the fighter jets that Iran uses are still F-4s, American-made F-4s. So, yeah, the, the Iranians use uh, Americans, uh, you know, jets in their Air Force. But once after the revolution, we obviously weren't going to give them the fighter jets, but we also didn't give them the money back. Yeah. And uh, international courts have ruled that the U.S. has to get the money back. You know, you took a advance payment for a product and then you refused to give it to them. And, you know, maybe conditions have changed and it's fair to void the deal. But once you void the deal, you have to get the money back. And they didn't. International courts ruled they had to. So, yes, Obama was giving them their own money back. I really believe that if Donald Trump was president and had negotiated the Iran nuclear deal, he would have called it the best deal ever negotiated and would have publicly laughed on TV about how he got the Iranians to take their own money back in exchange for additional inspections on their nuclear program. Well, instead he destroyed it and now we're back to square one. Right, because he's a because he's a boob. <laughs> yeah. Well he's probably, you know, when you have like you know, we were talking about before, when you have all these war hawks in your fucking cabinet, I mean, you know, and they don't like Iran, what are they gonna say? Oh yeah, not right, nuclear deal, then nah, just don't worry about it. We'll, we'll figure it out later. No, they're like, oh destroy it right now. That was like one of the first things he did was get rid of the Iran nuclear deal. 
Yeah, well, right, like the the right wing hatred for the nuclear deal is like in the same vein of the Democrats' belief in RussiaGate. Right, it's just like this mythical thing that like it's a mantra that everybody says. Oh, I, I Obama gave everything away. He gave them pallets of cash. You know, this is what Fox News was saying at the time, mm-hmm. um, and and this is what Donald Trump continues to say. It's not true, but they all believe it and they say it over and over again. And it has you know very dangerous real implications when it comes to U.S. foreign policy. You know, that that's really the, the only reason why I do my show is just because it makes me so angry that U.S. foreign policy is changed on these really stupid lies like Russiagate and that the Iran deal was a bad deal. It's not true. The, the Iranians weren't trying to build a nuclear bomb before, but we sanctioned them for it anyways. And then we got them to agree to limit their civilian nuclear energy program even more. I mean, that that was a, a really big scam we pulled over them. And then Trump came along and said, no, it's not good enough. It got out of it. And, and now we, we pretend to demonize Iran like it's somehow their fault. Yeah, and I would think if the U.S. kept demonizing Iran, you know, poking at the snake, you know, eventually it's going to bite. So I would think if that just kept happening and happening – I, I mean, if I was Iran, of course I'm going to build a, a nuclear weapon because you keep fucking, you know, talking shit about me and, and you know, poking at me and saying how terrible I am and all this stuff. And, I am, and then everyone else is trying to, like, attack me and all this stuff. So, of course, I'm going to do something to defend myself. I don't know. Maybe I'm some Iran puppet now because I'm saying this. I don't know. But well, like, I, I mean, what else would they do if they're not going to do that, you know? Uh, yeah. So I, I, I think you make a good point. But I'll say I, – I, the Iranians like religiously have a fatwa against nuclear weapons and I believe weapons of mass destruction in general. I don't know if that means if Saudi Arabia built a nuclear weapon, if the Iranians actually went and sit on their hands for religious reasons. Um, but they, I don't know that. So just, just to get that fat that I don't know if that's the direction they'll go. But in September of this year, um, in Saudi Arabia, their main oil facility was attacked. And for, uh, you know, a few weeks of time, at the very least, uh, half of Saudi's oil production abilities were cut off. And so talk about a snake bite. I, I mean, that, that was something serious. And how much uh, w- was the role of Iran in that? Uh, the Houthis uh, definitely seem to have at least been a part of that. And the genocide going on in that country is the reason why. But but people do look at that as something that was a snake bite by Iran against Saudi Arabia for uh, kind of the U.S. warfare against Iran, economic and otherwise. All right. So the last thing that I wanted to ask is about, um, you know, Yemen and, you know, of course, the the, the worst humanitarian crisis, as uh, Scott Horton would say, uh, you know, and, and would call it. Um, what are some of the updates with that? You know, because, you know, I don't even know, like, I, I don't know. It just, it's, it's, to me, it, it's sad that no one outside of people who care about foreign policy, like yourself and Scott and me to a degree as well, who kind of look into it and just go, man, it's like, what, what's going on over there? And of course, you know, when Scott has NASA Arabi, he gives us updates, which is great, you know, to kind of update what's going on. But then other than that, it's, it's like nobody cares, you know, and it sucks because to me it's, it's thinking, well, obviously if it was your family or around your area and it's like that with anything I, I would think, you know, which is again, not great, but it's the reality of it, I suppose, where if it was happening in our neighborhood, of course, then people would give a shit, but it's in some country that nobody even knows where it is on the map other than it's in the Middle East somewhere. 
you know? So, but anyway, basically what I'm trying to say is why should, why should people care about Yemen more than they, than they do, which is, I would probably think like very, very small amounts. Yeah, well, as you said, it's just the worst thing happening right now. And so if you care about children, if you care about people, if you care about pregnant women, uh, if you care about gay people or transgender people, I'm sure there's some of them in Yemen and I'm sure they're suffering from this war because I think everybody is. This is a country that before the war started in 2015, so you know, we're really going on five years here uh, in March of 20. March 25th, I believe, of 2020 will be the five-year anniversary of this war. Uh, it's been, The country's been blockaded. Uh, the civilian infrastructure has been targeted. Martha Mundi has concluded that there's been an intentional food war waged by Saudi Arabia on the people of Yemen. So everybody there is suffering and starving. Uh, will Porter did some great reporting. He talked to a source in Yemen who explained to him, the situation is, is that maybe the nearest hospital from your house is two hours away but it gets blown up. And so then there's one eight hours away, but two bridges in between get blown up. And so then, it, you know, it's a 16 hour ride, but because of fuel shortages and not having enough money, uh, it ends up taking 20, 24 hours. So if you're somebody that has cholera, which is acute, and if you get fluids, it, you know, you could get to any kind of medical facility, you'll probably make it through it. Right. But, it, you know, if you're already compromised because you don't have enough food and the hospital is 20 hours away, maybe your family has enough money for it or not. Um, you know, that that's the situation. That's why kids are dying of cholera in Yemen. I mean, it's like every year, hundreds of thousands to a million people contract some kind of waterborne uh, illness that causes extreme, uh, you know, vomiting and diarrhea in Yemen uh, to the point that a couple thousand people a year are either, you know, vomiting or shitting themselves to death. And that's, you know, the reality of the situation. You read these horror stories from families who, uh, you know, are just reporting that, we have three children. One has cholera. Two are starving to death. We can only afford treatment for one. What do we do? Like, what? What kind of? What kind of decision in life is that to make? Um, and then looking at it, uh, you know, the, the statistics say our studies say that uh, Yemen has been bombed back twenty years. So, kind of going back to the start of the show when we're talking about what life was like maybe twenty years ago in our childhood yeah. and the, the kind of the technology we have. Imagine taking the poorest country in the Middle East and moving that backwards twenty years, uh, and that you know they're they're not able to get the materials they need into the country, even to provide humanitarian assistance like chlorine tablets to clean water, uh, food and fuel, uh, much less, you know, importing like concrete, steel, rebar, all the things you need to rebuild all these kind of remote roads and bridges and, and get this country back to the point where, you know, people are connected enough uh, that they're not starving to death or dying of preventable diseases. Uh, it's, a, it's a really scary situation, uh, what's going on right now in Yemen. Uh, in, I don't know, Exactly where you want me to go from here, uh, as far as more of why people should care, but because the the U.S. is an essential player in this. Yeah. Uh, this is, was more so at the start of the war where we really could have turned it off, but the whole time, really, we could we could have shut this thing down. Uh, we're providing Saudi Arabia with the bombs. Uh, Jane Ferguson uh, reported on PBS NewsHour. So even when like this is on TV, people still don't care. She goes on PBS NewsHour. She travels, smuggles herself into the most remote places in Yemen, some of the dangerous places in the world to film U.S. bomb casings to prove that it's our bombs, you know, 
know, killing civilians, uh, a bus full of children, 40 something kids died by a Lockheed May bomb. Right. Like, and she does all this brave reporting. And then, you know, like you say, nobody really cares. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's why you have to care because it's the worst thing going on right now and it needs to be stopped. Also the, the fact that, if one of these people, you know, really takes it the wrong way, you know, they're the next Osama bin Laden, uh, you know, Mohammed Atta or whoever who's going to be willing to, you know, drive themselves into a crowd full of Americans and kill themselves. And while everybody's got to act all surprised and pretend just like on 9-11 that we have no idea why we are attacked and, oh, it must be our freedom and, you know, our beautiful women showing too much skin. No, it's going to be the fact that you were complicit in genocide in Yemen. Yeah, blowback. And as Ron Paul said in that famous 2008, you know, debate when he was talking to Rudy Giuliani, you know, we had something to do with it. How dare you? What, what you say we have something to do with it? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we have something to do with it, <laughs> which was great, you know, because it's, it's fine. Too. Right. And people pretend like it's un-American to say that, yeah. but the the reality is, it's like you know, you see your neighbor building his house with on you know, it, it doesn't have a foundation. You're like, man, that house is going to tip over and it's going to kill you and your family. You shouldn't build your house like that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not threatening him and his family. That's trying to help them. Yeah. I'm trying to you know help you people. Scott Horton, antiwar.com. They're all trying to help Americans uh, and make us all safer by saying we cannot continue to kill all these people in the middle east with no regard and just let it happen because of momentum because you know you care more about healthcare or something like that you're going to you know not care what happens in the NDA like all these democrats right that had initially opposed uh, you know in, in the first house bill that came out that the democrats really put forward had some decent stuff in it it's highlighted in my article the decent things that were in that bill well then they don't care enough to make a natural stand on it and they all just vote for it once it comes up in the house so you know you know with no, with no courage and no standing against it it really puts all of us in jeopardy yeah it's sad um what's happening and you know when when the time came you know to, to tell the you know your representative or whatever to say hey you know don't vote you know don't vote for this you know or you know or i, I don't know why the whole thing was basically to try and you know stop the war or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. I don't know. It's almost make, kind of makes you feel like you're useless. Like I have no say, even though I'm saying what I'm, I, I feel how I feel, but then representative who's supposed to represent me is like, nah, what your, your opinion doesn't matter. Fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. And it's just like, well now, now I, I, you know, and, and, and with that, with that reasoning too, it, and it's, it's sad, you know, but with that reasoning, it kind of makes you go, well, what's the point then? If it's not going to change, what's the point? Well, I mean, you just need as much money as Lockheed Martin has. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, – Build some super weapon in your backyard, Shane. You'll, you'll be rich enough soon. Be the next – They could buy as many Sanders as you want. <laughs> yeah. Be a, make the next uh, SpaceX, as, as uh, Elon Musk did, or that that uh, box-looking vehicle that he's made. I don't know. Whatever whatever he's done. But anyway – um. Again, I just want to thank you, Kyle, for coming on, taking the time out of your day to to talk about this stuff. It's very important what you're doing and what you're doing with Scott and and uh, Pete over there and Sheldon Richmond as well over at the Libertarian Institute and also uh, Antiwar.com. I, I go there, I go to those websites every day. Uh, that's that's where I get the majority of my news um, for sure. So again, I really want to thank you for coming on and talking about these important stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, thanks so much. Thanks for letting me come on your show and, you know, all the times I've gotten to come on now and, and chat with you. 
and uh, and your wife when she's around. So I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, thanks for talking up and, you know, promoting my work all this time. And, uh, yeah, check out the Libertarian Institute. Scott's got the fun drive going on right now. Yeah, so there you go, libertarianinstitute.org. And, of course, his podcast is called Foreign Policy Focus. Just search that in wherever podcast player, whatever you look for it. I'm sure it'll be the first one to come up. Um, but, okay. yeah, you can also look at it on the libertarianinstitute.org. It's on the right-hand side where there's all those other uh, podcasts that are on that website. Um, but, anyway, uh, again, thank you so much, Kyle, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Shane. All right. Have a good one. Now you know what's happening. Thanks for listening. If you want to support the show, go to hapasupremacy.com and follow our social media. Have a great day.